Uh, welcome to Dead Air with Kumar Medallier. Today we have um, my guest Catherine Jeans with us, who I'm very honored to be able to interview. I'm really glad that you are willing to talk to me today. One thing I wanted to ask you about is, it seems like you've been like a lifelong book reader. Or is that something you've always uh, been doing? Yes. I didn't learn to read until I was six because I grew up in the southeastern Kentucky in a very rural area and there was no kindergarten so I went to school when I was six and uh, my parents hadn't tried to teach me how to read before that so that's when I learned to read mm -hmm. and I was so excited and I've been reading ever since. <laughs> yeah. I love reading. Yeah. <laughs> so. What were some of your favorite books growing up? They were different from my favorite books now. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite books was Heidi. I don't know if you read Heidi when you... <laughs> no, I don't know about that one. <laughs> it's about a little girl who, uh, she's in Norway or someplace. She's in a northern country, and she has a lot of struggles, and uh, she's very close to her grandpa. He was bringing her up, and um, she has a little friend who uh, gets sick and um, go, goes away, and uh, when she comes back, um, she's all better and Heidi is so thrilled and she gives her a big hug and she said the little girl had gone to the mountains somewhere and she said I knew the mountains would make you well <laughs> for some reason whenever I think of that I feel I get tears in my eyes I don't know yeah, why yeah. <laughs> but just something about that she's so glad her friend is better and she's sure that it was because she went to the mountains <laughs> yeah <laughs> so my grandmother used to send me books from Florida, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, my mother was an avid reader. Mm -hmm. She had a very hard life, my mother, uh -huh. and uh, when I can still see her now sitting down, she was kind of stooped like I am, and she'd be sitting there with her book, lost to the world, mm. in her own world. Uh -huh. She loved reading, sipping her tea and reading. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, I guess I got that from my mother. Where did you grow up? In southeastern Kentucky in the Appalachia and the, and the uh, foothills of the uh, Appalachian Mountains. And it was very rural. Mm -hmm. um, my mother was not a country girl. Mm -hmm. And she had no idea what she was getting into when she married my father, I don't think. Uh-huh. She was from Escanaba, the Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Okay. And uh, she uh, met my father. He joined the Navy when he was 18 years old. He was born in 1900, so when he was 18, 1918, he joined the Navy. Mm -hmm. Of course, the war didn't last very long after that, and so the World War One wasn't right. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't at it very long. Mm -hmm. But then. Um, while he was in the Navy, uh, he was stationed in Key West, and uh, I, he came up to Miami, and my mother was 15 years old at the time, and she was working in her, her mother's ice cream shop. Uh-huh. And uh, he came in and saw her, and she saw him. Yeah. And it was like, wow. <laughs> she never got over it. I think she really pursued my father. Uh-huh. Because... He, he said, I, I have their 
letters and diaries that my sister Rosemary put together. And he said, I thought she was just a little girl. Uh -huh. <laughs> she, th she thought she, anyway, she just fell for him. Yeah. In his Navy uniform. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> was that what? It, it was, was all hormones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I think. Anyway, uh, I came along about 10 months later. Uh-huh. And uh, there was only one doctor in the whole county. Mm-hmm. Where? In they, Key West? No, in uh, Appalachia. So, how the, so your mom was from Michigan. And my the, dad was from... Uh, Kentucky? Yeah, southeastern Kentucky. Southeastern, and then he was a real country boy. Oh yeah. And uh, like so many people in that area, uh, and people everywhere, often there's one event, in, one event in your life that shapes the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that? I mean, and with him, it was joining the navy. Mm -hmm. That changed his whole outlook about everything. Mm. Anyway, what I was going to say was that there was only one doctor in the whole county. Mm -hmm. So when it was time for me to be born, mm -hmm. my mother wanted, most people I think used a midwife, but my mother wanted a doctor. So mm. so my father went out to try to get the doctor. It was in February. Mm -hmm. And uh, the doctor was in bed and drunk. He was too drunk to get up and go yeah. out. And <laughs> Deliver. Yeah. Deliver me. Yeah. So my father did the only thing he could do. Mm. He went home and delivered me himself. Really? Yeah. And so uh, uh -huh. then he, that worked out all right. So then That's good. my next sister and my brother and then the next two sisters, he delivered all of them. Oh, he, really, he did? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so what was life like in Kentucky? What was it like? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, when I was little, uh, there was some, there, this was during the, uh, time of the, the Great Depression, and we were also having a drought there, mm. and so it was, and my father never learned to be responsible, I don't know why, he was the oldest one in the family, but he never learned to make a living, that's why I said my mother's life was so hard. Mm. Um, and so we always had my mother was so adaptable she learned how to uh, garden uh, she always raised a big garden and then she learned how to can vegetables and mm -hmm. fruits mm -hmm. and uh, she learned I don't know she was the youngest in her family so I don't know how she learned to be a mother but I think she was an excellent mother mm -hmm. and we were just very, very, very poor. We just didn't. We lived out in the country. We didn't have a running water. We had an outdoor toilet. Mm -hmm. uh, we always, we usually had chickens, so that was something we could eat. And then we had my mother's garden, mm -hmm. and we had blackberries and strawberries and blueberries and things like that. So yeah, we had a lot of natural things that that we could eat. Uh, and you could eat everything that you, everything that you ate was mainly stuff you grew yourselves. Yeah, the, but and mother, my mother would can it, but sometimes in the winter, we would run out. You know, we would have eaten everything up. <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, so we, it was a very hard 
life, but actually, I enjoy it. I knew that both of my parents loved me. There was mm -hmm. never any question about that. Mm -hmm. And I learned to be a caregiver myself because I had the younger sisters and my brother. Mm -hmm. And I learned as a sister mother to them. Mm -hmm. And I didn't mind that. I liked it. I, I liked taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I loved being, there was always woods around. Mm -hmm. I loved being in the woods. I loved walking in the woods. Yeah. And seeing the different kinds of uh, trees and the different uh, kinds of flowers that grow in the woods, I I learned that from my father. He loved that too, mm. and he was a nature lover. <laughs> yeah. So I I really enjoyed that. Uh, I felt I felt very pretty happy about my uh, childhood. I loved where I grew up, except that there was a period in my life before I went to high school when. Uh, I was bullied, and that was a very hard time for me. Mm. It was so bad one year that my parents just said, okay, they're so tired of seeing me come home with a bloody face that they just said, well, you don't have to go anymore this year. Mm. So uh, that was a bad time. Mm. Uh, then when I went to high school, I was considered bright because I was a through with the eighth grade by the time I was 10. Mm. And my parents, we have to understand that the schools were very bad. Uh -huh. <laughs> so that didn't mean I knew a lot. <laughs> yeah. I bet so, you did, though. <laughs> what? I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, they knew I couldn't go to high school. In mm. order to go to high school, I needed to, uh, uh, it was good for me to stay in the boarding school because in the winter, Sometimes the roads were not passable, mm -hmm. and so the, I went to the, there was a boarding school in the same town. So in the boarding school, I had repeated a seventh grade and eighth grade, and, mm -hmm. and then so I was 12 when I went to boarding school. Mm -hmm. But still, all the other girls were 14. I was younger than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first year, that, the first, uh, I guess it was the Christmas holiday, mm -hmm. we were going to go we were all going to go home from the, all of us that lived in the boarding school. We're all packed and ready. To, we're waiting for the bus, the buses to come. And one girl said, I'm, my white sweater is missing. So uh, Dean and Women and the assistant Dean and Women, they said, well, we all have to pray. Pray that it will be found. You can't go home until the sweater's found. Mm. So I was like, it was so gothic. It was so horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so finally, uh, we're all just sitting there, and it's very morbid. Mm. And uh, and one of the girls, I guess she couldn't take the suspense anymore. She asked me to open my suitcase. Mm -hmm. So I did. I opened my suitcase, and there, right on top, was the white sweater. So. I was totally devastated. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was 12, almost 13 then, mm -hmm. and I was accused of stealing, and there was no way to defend myself. So I went home, and I was just so upset, I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So when I got home and told my parents about it, uh, my father said, don't worry, honey, or honey, I don't think he called me honey. 
No, Lord Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh, we're moving to Florida. You won't have to go back. He had a, my father belonged to the Masons. Mm. You know what the Masons are? Kind of, I know. It's a secret society. He had a Masonic brother who was going to, he and his wife were going to uh, Florida for a vacation over the holiday. Mm-hmm. And they had father ask if we could go with him. Yeah. <laughs> so he said, okay. My mother uh-huh. was pregnant with her sixth child. And uh, so she sat in front with uh, Nate and Cora. Mm-hmm. That was their name, Nate and Cora Baker. Mm-hmm. And uh, Daddy was in the back with us, and we he had put in as many of our possessions as he could pack in there. Mm-hmm. And it was my me and my uh, sister Sylvia, my brother Joe, my sister Martha and Rosemary. Mm-hmm. We were in there. We went down the uh, Gulf Coast of Florida. That's the way they decided to go. Mm-hmm. You ever been on the Gulf Coast? I don't think so. Oh, it is so beautiful. Yeah. When I was on the Gulf Coast, I thought, mm-hmm. oh my God, I've died and gone to heaven. This oh, is really? so lovely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because there's the Gulf, the water, the palm trees, uh-huh. the sand, uh-huh. you know, and the sunshine is just gorgeous. Yeah. That was, a, that was like, my father, for him, a big event was, a, a transforming event was joining the Navy. Mm-hmm. For me, the transformative event was moving to Florida. Yeah. Was it? something you were happy about? Well, they don't like poor people in Florida because they uh-huh. want this, they're, they want tourists to come. Mm. And poor people don't look good, you know, they're really yeah. shacks. And <laughs> right, you're going to bring down the tourism. <laughs> That's right. So uh, you, you couldn't go to school, to high school, until you'd been there a year. And in fact, you couldn't go to any school without paying until you'd been there a year. Mm. There were no free, free schools. So it was like private school almost, or well, it was public school, but you uh-huh. couldn't go until you established your residence by being there mm. a year. So we got down there in uh, December, and uh, we weren't allowed to go to school until the following fall, and we wouldn't have been able to go then except my mother went and asked them. She said, "My children really need to go to school," mm-hmm. and they said, "Okay." What and city in Florida were you in? Hmm? What city was this? Miami. Miami. But we lived out in the country. We found a, a charity organization, hmm. built us a little house. And mm-hmm. We lived in there. Oh, nice. And uh, so I went to, they had two high schools in Miami, and Miami Edison was the one that I went to. And that's when I found out that I didn't know anything. Mm. What do you mean? <laughs> what? What do you mean? You- well, I didn't, didn't know, know any geography, I didn't know uh-huh. any history, I didn't know any math. Uh-huh. I just, I knew, I was a good reader and that was it. Yeah. So, uh, I had to take remedial math, mm-hmm. but that was okay. And, yeah. and I caught up, I made good grades in, mm-hmm. in high school. Yeah. But uh, I realized that, I, I, I don't remember realizing it, but I did realize somehow, I know now when I look back on it, that I realized that. I didn't have any friends there, mm-hmm. and this was a chance to make some friends. Mm-hmm. So I picked out a girl uh, who didn't seem to have any friends either, mm-hmm. and befriended her, 
and we that was really that turned out well so oh that's great then so then i made other friends you know learn mm -hmm. that was a that was good that was a good learning experience for me what would you guys do back then for fun talked about boys <laughs> yeah <laughs> same thing never changes <laughs> that doesn't change yeah and uh you know we talk about school and yeah one day i was going downtown going down to Miami city, the city of Miami, and I uh, decided to stop at her house. I knew where she lived. She was out, but her mother was home. Mm -hmm. And her house was very interesting. Mm. Uh, there were, you know, like weird curtains, and uh, uh, I, I don't know, it just, it, it just wasn't a normal home. Yeah. And uh, mother starts bringing out Anna's wardrobe. And I had noticed that Anna, although she didn't have any money, she ate the same thing for lunch every day. A scoop of mashed potatoes with gravy on it. Cheapest thing you could get. You'd buy so I knew she didn't have money, but she had this gorgeous wardrobe. Mm -hmm. And I always wondered about that. Hmm. But anyway, then when I went to visit her, her mother started bringing out her dresses. Mm -hmm. She had this lot of beautiful dresses. Uh-huh. And her mother said, yeah, George gave her this one, and uh -huh. Frank gave her this one, and uh -huh. Tom gave her this one. Yeah. And I began to get the picture. What was that? Her mother was prostituting her. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Either that or they were in the mother's prostitutes, and they were mm -hmm. giving the little girl dresses, which is... Mm. And I realized that uh, something was very seriously wrong there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, I was looking at my uh, high school yearbook the other day. Mm -hmm. um, I decided I wanted to be on the uh, staff of the high school newspaper. Nobody invited me. Mm -hmm. the, the staff of the newspaper was the people that were, you know, the elite in the class, the class people that had really beautiful clothing, and mm -hmm. I didn't. I used to have, like, a white skirt. Mm -hmm. made out of what we call shark skin in those days. Uh -huh. And then I had a couple of blouses, and that's that was my wardrobe. Mm -hmm. Every night I'd have to wash the skirt because it was white, you know, so oh, wow. I'd have to wash it and iron it. But I chose my own job. Mm -hmm. I decided I was going to write book reviews. Uh-huh. Nice. <laughs> so I've been reading books for a long time. For a time. long, long time. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, Where did your family come from? Well, his side of the family came from, uh, according to the research that he did, they came from uh, 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 England. And uh, when uh, St. Charles, uh, well, Charles I, when St. Charles I was overthrown by, uh, you know, I'm going to forget his name again. Anyway, he was overthrown. And, Beheaded. Mm. Yeah, I went to Boston recently. I think that I went to St. Charles River, which was named after. After Charles the First. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So probably in the 17, 17 yeah, some in seventeen hundreds. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so uh, I think every tenth of uh, every every ten persons who had supported the Charles Charles the First were be beheaded, and the others were sent to. Uh, 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 Barbados, hmm. exile to Barbados. Hmm. So, um, 
I think that might be the reason why I like palm trees so much. <laughs> it's, I love in your, palm trees. it's in your blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's from Barbados. <laughs> right, from Barbados. So, uh, one of my ancestors, Henry Brockman, uh, was in Barbados and he uh, uh, adventured, adventured himself to the ship's captain, a, a ship that was coming to uh, someplace in New England. Mm -hmm. he, they, uh, he uh, brought a load of people mm -hmm. over to what was then called Kentucky County. Mm -hmm. It was Virginia. It was called Kentucky County, Virginia, mm -hmm. I believe. Later became Kentucky. So mm -hmm. I don't understand that because Kentucky's not on the. So I've got not that border, confused. Right. So, yeah. But anyway, that's how the first Brockmans allegedly. That was my name was Brockman. That was how they came to uh, to this country. Mm -hmm. So. You when you started school for therapy when you're like at sixty, right? Age yeah, I was six. sixty when I started into uh, working on my doctorate. And what what motivated you to do that? Well, I had always wanted to do it. I wanted to, I wanted to be a clinical psychologist or a social worker, mm -hmm. and I found out that um, uh, social workers had a hard time getting. Uh, funding uh, the harder time than uh, psychologists did. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to see people that have insurance and that can pay you. <laughs> so mm -hmm. so uh, I, I went for uh, to become a psychologist and I had wanted to do it for many years. One of my teachers at Roosevelt, I went to Roosevelt and one of my teachers encouraged me to get a doctorate. He was my favorite teacher, Dr. Levowitz. Mm -hmm. But I just didn't have any way to do it until I figured out a way to do it when I was 60. So mm -hmm. it was just a, a lifelong dream. What did you like about your teacher, Dr. Levowitz? Yeah. Well, I think I liked him because, well, he was interesting and he was very thorough. And he was very, he would ask you questions on the exam on the footnotes in there. <laughs> oh, wow. That's difficult. <laughs> I just barely got through the book. <laughs> but everything he said was so interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, so I just sit there. You can't teach, you, you can't do that anymore. I, I taught at Triton for a while. Mm -hmm. You can't teach like that anymore. The kids, you, they, they don't sit there fascinated for an hour or 50 minutes or whatever. Or the attention span is not. No, like no, it they used don't have the, But I, I did, and that's how people taught them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, I love Dr. Levitz. And he, uh, he was so good and so interesting and so thorough. And uh, I did well in his classes, and he encouraged me to get a doctorate. But it took me a long time to figure out. Uh, I started out going to the University of Chicago mm -hmm. for college. Well, I had picked up a course here and a course there, depending on where, you know, if there was a college, I would go to it and mm -hmm. take a course or two. But uh, my husband was, he was, a, he had enlisted in the Army when he was 18. We got married when, when he came home on his first leave, so mm -hmm. we were both 18 when we got married, which was 
I mean, I was really way too young and stupid to get married, but I didn't know that. <laughs> How did you guys meet? We met in high school. Mm -hmm. He was a really dreamer. He was very idealistic and very sensitive and just a very sweet. He wrote poetry and so forth. And, mm -hmm. and we were we really were attracted to each other. And we got married when we were... He was born 24 and I was born 25. So he was a little older than me, but he was mm -hmm. still 18. Mm -hmm. And uh, his mother was an alcoholic. And uh, his father had been killed in an automobile accident. Mm. Uh, and he had been going to military school until his father was killed. And then his mother took him out and uh, put him in public school. So that's how I, how I met him. Mm -hmm. And uh, after we got married, things went pretty well until I wanted very much to have children. But I couldn't, that he was selected by the army to go to school and become a doctor. Mm -hmm. He was in that, what they call the ASTP program. What's that? Uh, army Specialized Training Program. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that time, the World War II was still going on, and mm -hmm. they didn't know uh, whether they'd need more doctors. Mm -hmm. and, or, and dentists, so they were training people just in case. Mm -hmm. So he was, he was very bright, and he was accepted for training. And uh, so I couldn't have children while he was in training because uh, I had to make a living. You were in Florida during this period? Well, we got married in Florida. But then uh, he was sent to, uh, first place he said was in Georgia, mm -hmm. to a camp in Camp Gordon in Georgia. And then uh, he, that was before he uh, started going to uh, school. And in school, the first place he went to school, the Army, of course they weren't sending people to Princeton <laughs> or Harvard, they were sending them to he didn't have college, so he had to get college before he could. Well, you know that. Yeah, he had to go to Can't college. Go to medical, medical school, school or college. Yeah. What? Yeah, he got to go through college. That's before. right. Yeah. So they were giving him an accelerated college program. So mm -hmm. he went nine nine months at uh, uh, Dahlonega, Georgia, to North Georgia College, mm -hmm. and then he uh, went to Ole Miss in Oxford, Mississippi, mm -hmm. and then he went to. Uh, I think that was it. I think he got it all. They gave him all the high college they thought he had to have, I think, in two nine-month periods. It was accelerated. Yeah, like and a year and a half, more, almost two years. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, they, I'm sure they didn't. he didn't learn much poetry or music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he learned the things that they, he needed to get they, done. they thought he needed to get out of the way. And yeah. then he went to medical school. Mm -hmm. So... Um, but he went to the University of Illinois Medical mm -hmm. School. And then he did a, an internship. And then he went, had a three-year residency in uh, psychiatry at Michael Reese, which mm -hmm. they don't have anymore. Right. 
You know about bipolar? I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah. So he had uh, a three-year psychiatric residency. Mm-hmm. And so I'm waiting to have children. Were you uh, with him during this period? I was working, yeah, sure. I had and by your, your guys were together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he never went overseas. He was always here, and I went around to the different places where he where he went, and then I just found jobs there yeah. and worked. So mm-hmm. I remember when I went to, I think it was when I went to Mississippi, I had, <laughs> it was like $2 or $7 or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all the money that I had. Uh-huh. Yeah. But because I was a soldier's wife, mm-hmm. I was able to go to this, I forgot they had these places that would assist soldiers' wives and families. Mm-hmm. So. I found a place to live, and then I went to this uh, agency, and they gave me enough money to pay the rent and, I guess, buy food for you know a little while. And, mm-hmm. and then I uh, got a job mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> at a hospital there. Uh-huh. So uh, anyway, uh, so I couldn't have babies because uh, because I had to work. Mm. So and people would say to me. So they wouldn't put him. So they'd pay for his medical school and yeah, but they weren't I giving you any money to live on. He wasn't getting any salary apparently, because mm. I was thinking about that the other day. I was thinking they pay soldiers, but apparently when he got in school, they didn't give him. I mean, they were paying for his school. So it doesn't make sense. Though. I mean, say he wasn't married to you, mm. how would he live? <laughs> well, I had to work. That's what the, no, the you, other wives you, you had to work, too. but oh. like say he wasn't married. Say he didn't have a wife, what would he have? Well, he lived at the barracks. Oh, that they provided yeah. for him that way? Right. Got right. it. Yeah. So he had a place to live and food, mm. but that didn't extend to me. Mm-hmm. So all the wives worked. I mean, I knew there were a lot of wives whose... I knew the wives whose husbands were going to school, you know. Mm-hmm. We all worked. Mm. And we had a little joke about it because... Um, after a lot of times the same thing that happened to me happened to the other wives. Uh, once they got out of school and were doctors, they picked a new wife. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was pretty common. Oh, really? <laughs> right. Oh, man. So that's what happened to me. Anyway, but it wasn't necessarily a bad thing because in the meantime, my husband had... Uh, well, he cheated on me all the time mm. and bragged about it. Mm. And then uh, the other thing that he did was he had become an alcoholic. Mm. I watched him gradually become an alcoholic. Mm. That's a sad thing to watch. Mm. So, um, I, I wanted, we both wanted a divorce. I think we wanted it equally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because he wanted to marry somebody else, and I just wanted to get out of the situation. Mm-hmm. But I had to. I had to go. I had to see a psychiatrist in order to do it. I wasn't able to do it by myself because I had three kids, and uh, I didn't see how I could do it. But I did it. Mm. So anyway, um, I saw a couple of psychiatrists before I found the one that was really able to. Help me. How did they help you? Well, I re- his name was Bob Corman, and he was actually a. He had been in medical school with my husband, and I didn't think. 
that he would see me because they, he and my husband were friends, I thought. Mm-hmm. But uh, my son, Paul, was having some problems, and so I took him to Bob Corman. And uh, he, was a, he specialized in seeing children and teenagers. Mm-hmm. So I took my son to him. And uh, Paul, my son, said, <laughs> I'm not going back to that old man again. <laughs> yeah. So, and he was a, you know, he was a teenager, so it was kind of hard to make him go. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I was really impressed with uh, Corbin. And so, even though I didn't know if he would see me because he was a colleague of my husband, but I decided to ask him. Mm-hmm. So I called him and asked him if he would. I said, Paul's not coming back, but... I was wondering if he would see me. So he didn't say yes or no. He just gave me an appointment to come in so he could interview me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he knew me. He'd been to our house and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, he uh, I saw him for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And he really helped me. One day I was sitting there and... Uh, He said, uh, have you ever thought about divorce? Mm-hmm. And you know I had never thought about divorce. <laughs> it was pretty uncommon back then, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I, but then I started thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I said, I can't get divorced. I have three children mm-hmm. to take care of. And he said, other people have done it. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah, <laughs> you got he put it in your mind. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it was really hard. Yeah, but because he promised me everything, mm-hmm. but then uh, he didn't. Of course, he didn't follow. I think he felt he had mixed feelings about it. He knew something was wrong, but um, mm-hmm. you know, he was drinking very heavily and seeing other women. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he felt like he had uh, gotten married so young that he had missed out on a lot of the experiences he could have had otherwise. <laughs> so, yeah. Which was true, but yeah, <laughs> wasn't my fault. You're right. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so we got divorced, and mm-hmm. it was very hard financially because mm-hmm. uh, he didn't follow through. But somehow I managed. I had to go to work full time after I got divorced and uh, mm-hmm. I'd been working part time. Mm-hmm. Were you in Illinois at that time? Oh yeah, I've lived in Illinois ever since I came here in 19, in 1950. Uh, hmm, Have you ever heard of Henry Wallace? I've heard the name, I forget. I worked in his campaign in 19, I don't remember if I started in 47 or 48. Mm-hmm. But I came to uh, Chicago in uh, forty, I think at forty-seven. Mm-hmm. So I've been here <laughs> a long time, most of my life. Yeah, most. Of, this is my home. Mm. I can't imagine living anywhere else. I, I like it. I like. I like. I like this area. What do you like about it? <laughs> oh, I just. Well, I guess the main thing I like about it is that I'm familiar with it, and this is where my friends are, mm-hmm. and so are my family. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's just it's home to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I saw my husband become an alcoholic. It was 
What do you think was driving his alcoholism? He was never a very comfortable person. Uh, I just don't think he was comfortable with himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that makes any sense to you. I don't know. I don't, I can, I don't know I'm exactly sure I don't. what I mean by that, but yeah. <laughs> I'll give you an example. It's kind of a vulgar example, I guess. But uh, in the same rooming house where I lived in Mississippi, I had a friend named Jean Raymond, and her husband was, you know, he was also in school with, he and my husband were in the same classes, and one day she told me that her husband had come home the night before, and, and the uh, professor, I guess this was a chemistry class, I don't know what it was, but anyway, mm -hmm. the professor needed a urine specimen, so he just uh, produced one. <laughs> Whipped out a bottle and produced it. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> so next time I talked to him, I said, why don't you ever tell me interesting things like this that happen in class? Yeah. Because he never did. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, his, his answer was, I don't make small talk. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you don't make small talk with your wife, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who who do you like small talk? <laughs> right. He didn't like small talk. Yeah. So he was just not a comfortable person. Hmm. And he also had, and this might have been more of a reason, he had the severe scoliosis. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was painful. It gets worse as you get older. Mm, and more painful. Yes. You get more bent. You get mm. it's more painful. Mm. And uh, he was in pain. Mm all the time yeah he even wore a brace for a while mm -hmm. and I think uh, he was not ready even though we didn't have children for eight years after we got married he was not ready he said he wanted children but I don't think he did because he was never never comfortable with having children mm-hmm he, uh, but I know the way I noticed him becoming an alcoholic was uh, they, we went to a lot of parties. It seems to me like there's not a lot of parties now like there used to be, but that's because probably because I'm not young. Mm. Young people are still probably having a lot of parties. But they're different now, though. I'm <laughs> sure they're different. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I noticed that when we go to a party, mm -hmm. we would be the last ones to leave a mm. lot of times. Mm. And then I observed that the reason we were the last ones to leave was because he wanted to have another drink before we left. Mm. And uh, so then he eventually figured out, and he, was, he wasn't stupid, he was a very smart guy before he fried his brain with uh, alcohol and amphetamines, but mm -hmm. he also took amphetamines. But, mm. um, he figured out that he could buy alcohol and have it at home. He didn't have to go to a party to drink. Mm. So, um, so I watched him become an alcoholic. It mm. was pretty sad. So what did you do for work after you got divorced? I was already working at uh, at uh, Roosevelt University, and I just went full time. Roosevelt University was like my home away from home. I worked there. Where's Roosevelt University? It's downtown. Okay, I think I yeah, I definitely drive past it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And where you where were you living then? 
Well, I was living in Hyde Park for a while, and I had started out at the UFC, but mm-hmm. uh, that didn't work because uh, little kids get sick a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they were sick, I didn't want to leave them with the sitters. Mm-hmm. I, so I would stay home. So I wasn't doing very well in school at the University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I transferred to Roosevelt because Roosevelt had night classes. I could get everything I needed to take at night. Mm-hmm. So then I got a job at Roosevelt, too. I got a job as an office manager in the development office. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I did secretarial work, office work, for a very large part of my life. Because mm-hmm. uh, my mother had insisted that I learn typing in shorthand, which course nobody uses shorthand anymore because of <laughs> recording <You're> devices. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. But I took her advice although I said, I'm never gonna do that. I'm never gonna be I'm never gonna do office work. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna New York go to New York and be a newspaper reporter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or something like that, you know. Right. <laughs> but anyway, I did. I was a I did office work for a lot of my life. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, when I was at Roosevelt I was able to take, uh, I've forgotten, one course or two courses a semester free because I was working there. Oh, nice. That's how I got through. That's how I got my bachelor's degree. Mm. And then I, after that, I started on my master's. And uh, uh, I, I left before I completed my master's. What were you? What kind of classes were you taking in your first bachelor's degree? Well, my goal was to be, uh, you know, in a bachelor's degree, you, you don't have a lot of choices. You have to take pretty much the curriculum. The standard courses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I wanted to be a, uh, as I say, I wanted to be a uh, social worker or a psychologist. Mm-hmm. But I knew I would have to get more education to do that. So mm-hmm. when I finished the uh, bachelor's, which took me several years, <laughs> taking one or two courses at a time, yeah, um, then I uh, started my master's and uh, hadn't finished it when I, one day I was sitting in my office at Roosevelt and I was working at, in the development office and the uh, I was making up the budget for the coming year, mm-hmm. and I said, I, I cannot do this another year. Yeah. <laughs> I was so boring. Yeah. <laughs> I was just bored out of my mind. Yeah. You know? So I said, i got to do something more interesting. Mm-hmm. I went to the state of Illinois office and passed one test for a, a rehabilitation counselor. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what that is. I'm not sure what that is. It was a small agency, mm-hmm. a very useful agency, because mm-hmm. uh, what we did was we worked with people that had disabilities, mm-hmm. and we gave them whatever training they needed or that they wanted. I mean, they could choose what they wanted to do, mm-hmm. and then uh, help them find a job. Mm. So it was very, very good agency. Yeah, um, it was corrupt. I mean, we. I think all state agencies have some corruption in them. How so? Like, what was corrupt about it? 
Well, the politicians would, they'd get, a, get them to get a job in the agency and stuff like that. There were a few mm. people that would have come to work and, mm. you know, they'd come late and hang up their hat and sit down and not do anything and go just, home early. Just be on the payroll. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> go, come late and go home early. And yeah, sounds like a great <laughs> get, job. <laughs> get their paycheck, so. Yeah. But there weren't a lot of those. I remember one time, I one particular time, we had advertised for um, some particular position. And people were coming in. And you know how people are when they're applying for a job. Mm. They got on their best, best clothes. Yeah. And they're <laughs> so nervous and trying so hard to make a good impression. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to go up to each one of them and say, there's no job here. Just uh. go home and relax because mm -hmm. we already knew who was going to get the job. but we. Advertised like we didn't know, you know, we went right. through the pretense, pretense. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've ever seen anything like that. It happens still, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It still happens. Yeah. It was just so, I just felt so hard for that. felt so bad for these people because <laughs> they were nervous and all dressed up. And <laughs> there was no point to any of it. And there was, uh, it was pointless. Mm -hmm. No, we, we already knew who we were going to hire. So, mm -hmm. but, so, you know, stuff like that. Most of us were really legitimate and doing the job. Yeah. I never I never was lucky or unlucky enough to have a job where I didn't have to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it's probably better in that way. What? It's probably better to have a job where you actually have yeah. to work. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it's very hard to try to look like you're busy when you're not. Yeah. I worked for an optometrist once for a while in Oak Park and uh there wasn't much to do, mm -hmm. but I was supposed to look like I was busy all the time. Mm -hmm. That was so hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well. You're right. It's better to have it. It's better to really work. Yeah. But and I've always liked working. Mm -hmm. I I've always enjoyed working. So uh, I wish I could work now. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I don't have the stamina. I'm not not enough. Everybody tells me how lucky I am, and I know I am lucky because most people are not even alive when they're my age. Mm -hmm. But I don't, you know, I, there's a lot of uh, baggage that goes with being old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what is some of that baggage? Well, mainly for me it's lack of energy. Mm -hmm. This morning I baked something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going to do two or three other things besides that, but I mm -hmm. uh, was exhausted by the time I got through doing that. Mm -hmm. I can only do, like in a day, I can only do one thing, usually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, if I go someplace, if I go to, when I have my book club, I can't go to church in the morning because mm -hmm. I'll be too tired. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's, uh, mainly it's lack of energy. Mm-hmm. But most of it you just get used to. Like, I don't hear very well. Now, one-to-one one like this I hear fine. Mm -hmm. I hardly ever hear the sermons at church, but I figured out, you know, you can live without hearing the sermons. <laughs> mm. Even though they may be very good, you still don't really have to hear them. <laughs> right. And I don't see nearly as well as I used to, although I see pretty well with my glasses. There are a lot of things I can't eat that I really like because of, 
chronic kidney disease, and so I can't eat stuff that has potassium in it, mm. which means that just about everything I really like, I can't eat. Oh, yeah, like, like what? <laughs> well, milk is really my favorite food. Uh-huh. Milk has a lot of potassium. Oh, does it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I can't eat tomatoes, so that means mm. forget about Italian food, which is my favorite oh, food. Oh, and no spaghetti sauce, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So... Uh, I can't eat spinach, but I can do without spinach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, how was it being a psychologist? Um, complicated. A lot of people, it isn't what a lot of people think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard work. And the patient is one that has to do the work. I mean, the therapist needs to understand what's going on, but you can understand it <laughs> from Mallow Doomsday. Mm-hmm. But somehow you have to help the patient understand it. And that means you have to somehow try to get through some of their defenses. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you don't want to leave them exposed without defenses. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's all very complicated. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes I got it right and sometimes I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of empathy, mm-hmm. which is a very important uh, characteristic for a therapist. Mm-hmm. I do have a lot of empathy, but empathy, you have to have a lot, of, you have to have empathy and you have to have knowledge. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it just doesn't work. And it isn't necessarily a, your fault. People usually sense, they know whether they're getting help or not. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they really care whose fault it is. So if you're not helping them, they'll leave. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's the good part. Mm-hmm. When I started teaching, I was already, what, probably 80, 78 or 80 years old. Mm-hmm. And I found that teaching is so much easier. Mm-hmm. Because, well, you teach. Mm-hmm. You can learn how to teach. Mm-hmm. You learn your subject. You learn how to teach. Learn yeah. how to keep the student's interest. Mm-hmm. And you can do it. Yeah. But it's so much less complicated than being a therapist. What is so? I know you touched on it, but what is so complicated about being a therapist? Well, as I say, really, uh, usually it's not too hard for you to see what the person's problem is. Although you may not, mm-hmm. you may miss it, but helping the other person to see it without without tearing away their defenses is hard. And what are what are common defenses that people denial have? is a big defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, projection. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not it's not me. It's the rest of the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to get through people's defenses mm-hmm. without making them so uncomfortable that they don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. You really need, the person really needs to come to trust you mm-hmm. and almost love you mm-hmm. in order to give up those defenses. Mm-hmm. They have to really understand that you do care mm-hmm. and that you're not going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. And that they're not five years old or whatever anymore that they were when the problems developed. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
The only way you can do that, I think, is by developing what they call transference, which is really just a relationship, a trusting relationship between you and the patient. Mm -hmm. and that's not always easy to do. And a lot of times people go overboard with it. I mean, they become friends. Mm -hmm. You're not, you, you have to, there have to be, there have to be boundaries. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of psychiatrists don't recognize boundaries. And a lot of uh, psychologists don't either, I don't think. Uh, mm -hmm. My husband didn't. He had uh, relationships with uh, with his patients. Mm -hmm. He eventually married one of his patients. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that, that's just, that's practically unforgivable. Mm -hmm. And yet it's so easy to happen. Mm. So easy for that to happen. Why is it so easy? Because the person is vulnerable and sometimes uh, the therapist is vulnerable too. Mm -hmm. you know? It's probably a good idea for therapists to have uh, therapy themselves so that they know what their weaknesses are. Mm -hmm. So what do, you, what do you mean by, like what kind of boundaries do you need to have? Like, so you, you care for your client. But where is the problem where you could go off? Well, one thing that is a weakness with me is that I want to help people. Mm -hmm. And that might sound like a good thing. Mm. But people have to, what you have to do is try to help people to be strong enough to live their own lives. And that means uh, they, they have to help themselves. Mm -hmm. For instance, you... Uh, you might want to, you might want to give them money, mm -hmm. or you might want to uh, take them into your home. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> take care of them, mm -hmm. you know, or you might want to have sex with them, you mm. know. <laughs> you, you can't do that. Right. I mean, that doesn't work. Right. <laughs> if it worked, maybe it'd be okay, but it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. So what, what did you specialize in? What kind of clients did you see? Well, I started so late that I didn't have time to, I didn't have a chance to develop a specialty. Mm. So I saw whoever came through the door. Mm -hmm. The people I enjoyed the most, what I really liked doing was family therapy. Uh huh. Because then you get to see everybody and they can't come in and tell you stuff that, <laughs> yeah. that they probably think is true, but when you see them, <laughs> uh -huh. you see that it's not true. Mm. <laughs> And a lot of times in a family, there's a designated uh, patient, mm -hmm. and you see who the designated patient is and how mm -hmm. that's working out. What does that mean, mm -hmm. designated patient? Well, I've had I had clients say to me sometimes, "I'm the designated patient." It means that you're the person in your family that whenever anything goes wrong, it's your fault. Yeah. You ever seen a family like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Susie, yeah, <laughs> it's Susie's fault. <laughs> yeah, if Susie just did better, we'd all <laughs> we'd all be good. But when you do family therapy, you can get at that. Mm. I did a lot of couples therapy too, and I mm. like that. Yeah, mm. it's a, a common problem between couples. You think any like thing that comes up often? Uh, they're all different. I don't don't remember a similar. 
I remember one man treated his wife so badly. He was such a male chauvinist, the chauvinist that I said, you know, I probably shouldn't see be seeing you both because I'm totally on your wife's side. <laughs> yeah. So I just want you to know that. Yeah. <laughs> and they kept on coming, mm. and we worked through some of it. Mm. But uh, and I had another client I remember who came to me and he told me that he was going to break up with his girlfriend and he wanted me to let her know. <laughs> I said no. No, you do. No. That's your job. <laughs> not my That's job. That's not my job. He wanted me to. What he wanted me to do was to tell her that he was that, that they were totally mismatched and that he was not not a nice guy at all and she should break up with him. I said no. I'm not doing that. <laughs> well, it gets kind of true. <laughs> He's asking you to. What? It's kind of true, I guess. <laughs> He's asking you to. <laughs> well, right it wasn't now. my job to. Yeah. to tell her that he was going to break up with her. Yeah. And I, and I got caught. I, I, was, I was fooled sometimes. I remember one case where a guy was uh, court-referred details. His wife was, uh, she said he was very abusive. And uh, I talked to him three times. I learned that you have to see a person at least three times to know whether what they're saying is true or not because mm -hmm. people can be very good at fooling you but usually they'll start to unravel a little bit by the third time. So I saw him three times and I was convinced that he was not abusing his wife mm -hmm. and so I wrote this letter saying that. Mm -hmm. his, his own lawyer <laughs> who happened to be a woman <laughs> she took pity on me and sent me a list of his uh, arrest record. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had abused his wife over mm. and over again. Yeah. <laughs> and he fooled me. Yeah. I had an instance where I, I was working at the mental health center where uh, one of my teenager, teenage patients, I was working with teenage girls. Mm -hmm. She came into my office one day and said, uh, I'm gonna kill you today. Hmm. And uh, just talking to you. Yeah. Hmm. And she said, "I want you to call. Uh, I want you to call nine one one and tell them that I'm in here that I'm gonna kill you today." Hmm. That's so, really scary. Huh? That's really scary. Oh. Uh, yeah. So I said, "Well, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I I don't understand." I said, "I thought." We were getting along pretty well. Why do you want to kill me? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so she explained that to me. She and she said my mother wouldn't take her home and she figured that the best person to kill was me because we were had time alone in an office together. Mm -hmm. And uh, if she killed somebody, then instead of being with the mental health department she would be with the uh, Department of Corrections. Oh my goodness. And there would be a sentence. Uh-huh. Uh, so but that... it would end. It would end. It wouldn't last forever. Yeah. And the, the one thing that I kept in mind was not to act scared. Mm. If you act scared, then you're, that's like a magnet. Fear, mm. you know, is not good. So we sat there, and she's looking around the office, and she said, I wonder what I can hit you with that will kill you. My God! And uh, she picked up a clay animal that one of my other clients had made 
for me and she's swinging back and forth like this. She said, I wonder if I can kill you with this. Hmm. I said, I'm sure you can. I'm hmm. sure killing me is going to be pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah, sure you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, don't, man. don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and I was very, very careful not to look at my telephone. Mm-hmm. Because I had one of those big old office telephones that weighed a ton. Yeah. And I thought, if she thinks of hitting me in the head with that, I'm probably going to be a goner. Right. Or I'm going to be seriously damaged. Mm. So I said, oh yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, the, the family thing is okay. I can handle that. <laughs> that worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I did. She's sitting there swaying back and forth. And she's between me and the door. Mm-hmm. which I was later told that I shouldn't have had my office set up that way. <laughs> it had never been a problem before, and I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, 911 never came. What? I'm sure she thought hmm. that 911 would come. And you're probably waiting for them to come, she too. She was waiting for that, and then she wouldn't have to do anything, but she'd still be accused. Right. I think that's what she had. That's what she wanted. Finally, I couldn't wait any longer. I lost, I, I lost it. So mm-hmm. I jumped up and tried to take this object away from her mm-hmm. that she was swinging. Mm-hmm. I knew she would be stronger than me. I mean, mm-hmm. she was a teenage, a healthy teenage girl. I mm-hmm. knew I couldn't. She'd be stronger, but I just couldn't wait any longer. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to take it away from her. And when I did, she hit me over the head with it. Oh, my God. <clears throat> and the head wounds bleed a lot. Oh my God! Blood. Yeah, There's blood everywhere. <laughs> but yeah. I wasn't seriously injured. So what I did was I started yelling for help. Uh huh. And somebody outside heard me, and they mm-hmm. came in. Hmm. Uh, stopped the whole. She was bending over me, getting ready to. Hit oh my me again. God! But uh, I think she was glad to be rescued. I think she was rescued too. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. That's a really intense situation. So, yeah, anyway, so uh, the good side of that was that years later, a few years ago, she called me, mm. and uh, she said she'd been trying to find my number for a long time, mm-hmm. and she said she just wanted to tell me, she wanted to apologize, she was sorry that she had done that, mm-hmm. and she wanted me to know that she had straightened her life around and that she was working as a nurse. Mm. She'd gone to school and Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. But what was so pleasing to me about that was that she knew I would be glad to hear that. Mm. And I was. I was very glad to hear that. So, <laughs> I also had, sometimes I'd have somebody who was really crazy, mm-hmm. to use a non-professional term, but they didn't know they were crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a while I was doing uh, social security evaluations to see if if the person was eligible for disability. Mm-hmm. And so they they would be trying to show me that they were crazy oh, yeah. when they really were crazy. <laughs> so then you have to try to sort this <laughs> That's out. That's kind of really you know? confusing. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Just be yourself. You... You'll, you'll get the disability. Don't worry. <laughs> How did you get involved in Unity Temple? How did you get involved in Unity? Well, it's not Unity. It's Third Unitarian. Oh, Third Unitarian. Unity is the one I know part. Okay. 
Well, I, I, uh, I had a friend, I had friends, the Gainers, they were my landlords at one time, and they went to uh, Unit of Third, and uh, they're both dead now. I've been at Third Unitarian for almost 50 years, mm. and so they introduced it to me. And mm -hmm. I was recently divorced, I think I'd been divorced about two years, and, and I guess I was looking for a home, and I found one. Mm -hmm. It was just a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. Found a lot of nice people, and uh, I always I used to have this fantasy that I had a lot of problems. I was having a lot of problems with the children, mm -hmm. and uh, was recently divorced. And I had this fantasy that somebody must have the answer to my problems, and I just had to find the right person. So mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> and so. Uh, what I found out was that these people all had problems too, mm -hmm. but they accepted me and I found a way to fit in. Mm -hmm. It's just a good fit. Yeah. That's great. I'm worried about you though. How so? Uh, <laughs> I'm concerned because I don't see that you have any peers there. Hmm. And concerned in what way? Like how would that... Well, there aren't people your age there. Yeah. I find that what I like about the church, the values, everyone has similar values to That's true. what I have. It would be nice if there were some people there. Yeah. I mean, I hope you stay. I think you're yeah. a very valuable member. Yeah. But I don't see, I don't know who you're going to hang out with. Oh, that's Maybe a, that's not a problem for you. I don't know. Yeah, for right now it's like, I think, uh, as long as I'm in Chicago, I'll be coming. I think the main reason I was drawn to it was not I like while I like the community and somehow I'm glad that I'm you know you're glad that. I'm glad to like meet the community of people there. Yeah. One thing that the church offered was uh, ways to get involved in the community, sort of through yes, the scholarship true. committee. Um, I've been tutoring a fifth grader oh, really? once a week for the last like three or four months. Oh really? Yeah. That's wonderful. How yeah. did you get into that? Uh, Martha uh, knew his mom, yeah. and actually his uncle actually got a scholarship back in the, I don't know when, back in the past sometime. Yeah. So he's like a 6th, 7th grader, and she knew that he needed some help in math, so that's how... So Martha did that. Martha did that. Good for her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's what the church, I think, and then, yeah, I like that the church is very... A lot of social justice sentiment and action is what right, kind of right, draws me right. to it. Um, well, I'm glad you like it, and I hope you stay. Yeah. But I was just thinking that there are not any people there like your age. Yeah. Maybe it'd be good for the church, too, to get more people. It would, and I wish we could. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think, like, people would be drawn to... Young, more younger people would be drawn to it if they simply knew about it well we try I mean we mm -hmm. do do a lot of Facebook stuff and yeah I think we have ads in uh, the Wednesday Journal or I, I think we and then the Austin paper I, I think we do that still mm. but you know Unitarianism is not a very popular religion <laughs> mm -hmm. so a I was I had a I had a uh, significant other 
who was living with me, and uh, he developed Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. and uh, I had to quit teaching because, well, I mean, I was already in my 80s, so it wasn't like I was quitting earlier or anything. Yeah. <laughs> I started late and quit late. Yeah. But anyway, um, he got so I couldn't leave him alone. That always happens with people with Alzheimer's, mm. unless you have a, an extended family. You can never keep them at home, but I was trying to keep them at home. Mm-hmm. I kept them with me as long as I could. Mm-hmm. So that meant I had to stop teaching, which mm-hmm. was <laughs> no great loss because <laughs> before I quit, I helped develop a uh, a union for the part-timers. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things in my life that I'm proud of. Oh, right. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and it, it was hard because uh, a lot of the uh, colleges have their their uh, adjunct faculty is organized now. Okay. There's a real need for that. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Why is there a need for that? Like, what is it? Because they had no benefits and they taught a lot of the classes and mm. uh, and they uh, uh, made very little money and uh, didn't get any vacation time or anything like that. Mm. So a contract can. The contract that we got at Triton was not wonderful because some of the people uh, fell under the sway of uh, one of the vice presidents there, and uh, you have to know if you're organizing, you can't even talk to people like that. But mm-hmm. they, so it wasn't the strongest contract that we could have had, but they did get some benefits, mm-hmm. some uh, guarantee of you know when I was teaching. A lot of times I would just have one course, you know. I would have to drive back and forth to try to teach one course. Right. And uh, so I think we got improvement on that. Mm-hmm. And we got some improvement on the pay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe some, uh, maybe maybe a little, uh, I don't know if there's any health care benefits, but there were a few benefits. And when you have a contract, it can always be improved when it comes up again. Mm-hmm. So that's great. That's great. You organized that. <laughs> well, that's how unions work. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's how contracts work. Mm-hmm. They're good for a year or two years or three years or whatever, and then when they mm-hmm. end, you can renegotiate and try mm-hmm. to get something better. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so I was glad that I was able to do that. It's hard because the adjunct faculty—they don't have any offices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you don't have anywhere to... You don't have anywhere to catch them. You have to catch them while they're arriving at class or leaving oh, class. Oh, yeah. Because you have to get them to sign a card. Right. And so you have to see them. Mm-hmm. It was challenging, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I love doing stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was, it was, I'm proud that I did that. Mm-hmm. It was a good thing, yeah. And it was a good thing. Interesting things by going around to all these uh, different parts of the campus. You've mm. probably never been to Triton. I haven't. You wouldn't have any reason to go there. But they have a lot of good uh, practical programs, you know, mm. like uh, the, what do you call those ambulance guys? The uh, EMT? The EMTs. They had mm-hmm. EMT classes and uh-huh. a lot of useful things. Mm. So uh, I got to know some of the EMT guys. And, I love those guys. They're, 
and women. They're such hardworking people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> save people's lives. Yeah, it's a hard job. It's a real Every hard job. They save people's lives. Yeah. So. Life is a journey. And it's, well, it's like, yeah. It's been a... It's been a pretty good one for me. Mm-hmm. What are the things you like about life the most? Well, I just, uh, mainly I like people and interacting with people. And uh, learning, getting to know people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I enjoy nature. I really love, I used to love gardening. I can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I uh, love being outside. Mm -hmm. I love traveling. I haven't traveled much. Mm. I've only been, I've never been off the continent. Yeah. You've been on North and South America? Have you? Have you been off the continent? Uh, I've been to India. Uh, my parents used to take me there. To India? Well, that's... Every yeah. other summer vacation. That's was exciting. Yeah, yeah, it was very, yeah, great experience. Because it must be very different. Very different. It feel like an alien plant, like universe <laughs> or something. Especially when you're a kid and you just take, you know. I've been to uh, uh, Mexico. As I said, I had this friend who lived in Mexico. Which part? Uh, well, it was a little town, a little tourist town called Ajaí. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, I, we didn't go to Mexico City. The nearest large town was, because uh, she wasn't, she was already not driving well, she was already old. Uh, it was the, the nearest large town, which I didn't go to, was Guadalajara. Mm -hmm. I think that's where the plane went into, was Guadalajara. Mm. Uh, I loved it. It was really fun being in Mexico. Uh, and then I've been to... Uh, uh, Alaska a couple of times. Your sister? Uh, mm -hmm. To visit your sister? To visit my sister. Uh-huh. Yeah. Must uh, be pretty over there. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty. In mm -hmm. uh, Juneau, the, uh, they're in the same uh, temperate zone that we are, so. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So people think Juneau, yeah. oh, you're going to freeze to death in Juneau. It's like Chicago. Like being in Chicago. <laughs> but if you go up like to Anchorage, then that's a whole different ball. Oh, really? I didn't go to Anchorage, though. Uh-huh. But it was one thing about uh, Alaska that was so interesting to me was that there was still room for entrepreneurs. I mean, mm. we used to go. We went on Friday night. There was a place outdoors that had fish fresh fresh fish fries mm. uh, you know, fresh salmon uh-huh uh, for fifteen dollars at that time you uh -huh. could get all the salmon you wanted oh nice how much salmon can you eat yeah <laughs> wow <laughs> but yeah you know it was wonderful and uh, it was grilled outdoors mm -hmm. and another woman started a uh, pastry shop and you know you could still uh, I guess you can do those things here but mm -hmm. there was more room for stuff like Alaska. Yeah. So, still somewhat of a frontier. Mm. So, and then I've been to uh, uh, Canada a couple of times. We used to go 
to the Shakespeare Festival sometimes. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's fun. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. You ever done that? No, I haven't. It, it's fun. The biggest treasure that I have is uh, my friends. I'm very lucky that I have wonderful friends. Hmm. I just worry that as I get less able to uh, uh, get out, now I can only get out if somebody gives me a ride, and I'm worried that I won't even have the stamina to do that, mm. I won't be able to go out. I worry about that. Mm-hmm. It may not happen, but mm-hmm. uh, if I can't see my friends, I'll be in deep trouble because I have a kind of a depressive personality mm-hmm. deep down I, th- I think I cover it up pretty well but that I can usually get myself out of it by mm-hmm. um, cogn- I guess you'd call it cognitive therapy mm-hmm. reminding myself of how fortunate I am mm. and uh, just not letting myself dwell on negative stuff uh-huh. I can usually do that mm-hmm. uh, but I don't you know, I don't want to, I've never wanted to let myself get into a spot that, I was, when I was unhappily married, I was uh, very depressed for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And you're not a good parent when you're depressed. Mm-hmm. So, um, I feel bad about that. But, mm-hmm. um, How did you get out of it? Got a, I got a divorce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. how I got out of it. Right. I never took any. After my son died, um, which was in 2011, mm-hmm. the doctor I was seeing, Dr. Patel, he he was concerned about me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wanted me to take an antidepressant. And I did try it for a little while, but I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. What it was, it was like there was a wall between me and my depression, but the depression was still there, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't like that. I thought I, I just needed to feel it. I mm-hmm. needed to get through it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but when I was uh, depressed, when I was married, I, I uh, never took any medication and I went to therapy and saw an excellent therapist and uh, uh, got divorced. That's what I needed to do. <laughs> Did you feel so, your depression's more situational or something? It was, like? yeah, what they call situational, not endogenous, but mm-hmm. situational. So, yeah. Anyway. So, uh, anyway, yeah, so. But I, I feel, overall, most of the time, I feel like I've been very fortunate. I feel like I've had a very good life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. That's a great way to feel. I had good parents. Uh, I mean, my father wasn't fiscally responsible, but he loved, loved us. you, yeah. And I feel like, uh, you know, I get along with my sisters and my brother, mm-hmm. especially since we only see each other once a year. <laughs> the family reunion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But and I have wonderful friends. Yeah. Uh, 
I thought about this before. See if I can put it together. Um, I had a son. He died in 2011, and uh, I miss him every day. Uh, and I have two daughters, Mary and Valerie, and um, I. I uh, there's something about our own DNA. <laughs> It seems selfish and self-centered, but we we do tend to love our own DNA, and I guess that's a good thing because then when they're little and cry a lot <laughs> and uh, poop a lot <laughs> and so mm -hmm. forth, then we still love them. And I love my kids and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. I love them. boundlessly and unconditionally and I'm just very although my marriage didn't work out very well I can't imagine if I'd married somebody else I'd have different children mm -hmm. and great-grandchildren -grand and great-grandchildren and so I'm glad that I have the ones that I do have I just want to say that uh, although they probably won't see this or hear it, but I just want to say as a part of my uh, history that I do love them very much, and uh, I'm very grateful that we are uh, as close as we are. I just I just read today, I took a quick peek at my uh, email, or my Facebook, whichever one it was, and I discovered that my grandson Matt, my son's son, who got married in 2017 to uh, Sonia Luttrell, that they're expecting. Mm -hmm. And they wanted, to, they wanted to have children and they're very excited about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm very happy for them because that's what they wanted. So I'm going to become a great-grandmother again. <laughs> that's great. So that's wonderful. My health isn't very good anymore, but uh, I'm 94 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah. I, I get, sometimes I start to feel sorry for myself and get depressed, but mm -hmm. um, I can usually talk myself out of that. Yeah. And what do you say to yourself to talk yourself oh, out of I that? Oh, I just tell myself that, uh, that I do have wonderful friends, and I've had a interesting, enjoyable life, and uh, I've, had, I've had lots of wonderful adventures, and <laughs> some that weren't so wonderful, but mm -hmm. everybody does, mm -hmm. and um, I'm lucky, I wouldn't say this to everybody, just like I wouldn't say to everybody that I was lucky that I had a good mother, but I'm lucky that I, so far, still have quite a bit of my marbles left. You have a lot of your marbles left. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I see people failing all around me. Mm. Right now I have two or three friends that I'm very concerned about. Mm. And it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. It just happened to them. Yeah. And so, how, so far it hasn't happened to me, not on any major basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do forget stuff. But... Uh, 
I still remember a lot of stuff too. Mm-hmm. So uh, somebody said, life is a banquet. <laughs> and I feel like it has been a banquet for me. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, a, a banquet? Well, there's uh, lots of things, lots of good things that I have uh, been able to uh, take part in. Mm-hmm. What are, what are some of your favorite things that you've taken part in? Well, as I say, I, I used to organize. I like, I've, I've really enjoyed organizing. I used to organize for the Tenants Council when I first came to Chicago. What council? The Tenants Council. Tenants Council, uh-huh. When I first came to Chicago, they still had rent control. Uh-huh. And I would go around on the west side and gather people together, look at their homes and say, and ask them what they were paying. Mm-hmm. Find out they were paying too much. Mm-hmm. Take them. I didn't do this by myself. There were other people mm-hmm. doing. Take them downtown and to city hall and say, and ask the people to bring out the records for that building and show the people that they were paying too much and <laughs> you know <laughs> just get that fixed. Refuse to do it. So what? Yeah, there's something about yourself that's natural, just wanting to help people. Um, yeah, I have that natural thing of wanting to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I told you that my mother had a very hard life. Five children in ten years. Well, she had her hands full, and I helped out. I wanted to help out, and I did help out. I always had this feeling of uh, wanting to take on more responsibility mm-hmm. and uh, my family didn't seem to mind me doing that <laughs> mm-hmm. so uh, I was always good at getting jobs mm-hmm. and uh, partly because I'm white mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have a reasonably nice personality so I could always get jobs mm-hmm. I was lucky to find a way to go to graduate school because I never made a lot of money. I did it too late, and, uh, but I, it was uh, just very satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> to do it. Yeah. And uh, that's great. It's kind of inspirational, you know. Like a lot of people, they want to do it and they don't get around to ever doing doing that. Yeah. Well, by the time late. I did it, I knew I had to hurry up. I couldn't. You know, some people never get around to doing their their uh, dissertation. Yeah. So uh, I knew I had to just do it. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't wait. Yeah, get it done. <laughs> so there were so many steps to it, you know. There was mm-hmm. <laughs> getting through the classes. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then uh, <clears throat> there was the, the, the Blue Book exam. Mm. Uh, we had to pass an exam, you know, where we went into this room and uh, we were given blue books and mm-hmm. told to, uh, and given questions. You just write essays? Hard questions, mm. yeah. And I got through that. And then there was the, uh, I, had, I had to find a place to uh, enter to. I successfully did that. That's very hard. Mm. But, and uh, to, to, to find a place, but I did find a place. Mm-hmm. 
and so was there's that. There was always one more step. <laughs> yeah, yeah, never ending. <laughs> one more a step. lot. Yeah. Uh, you probably experienced like one more thing. Yeah, but it's like if you if you think about all the steps in advance, it's like almost like I would never like I'd go back and do it all over again. Like I don't know, knowing what I ha know now, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you just like one day at a time it works out, I guess. But yeah, that's hard. It is hard. Yeah. Yeah, I was afraid that when I got through, I wouldn't have any friends left because I didn't have any time to socialize. Yeah. But I was lucky when I got through. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friends were still there. Yeah. <laughs> Amazingly. That's great. Yeah. So. It's been a great ride. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you talked to me. Day. Really appreciate it. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. It's been fun. I like talking about myself. Okay, good. Yeah, I like listening to you talk. Most of us do. Yeah, and most folks do too. <laughs> so, anyway. Well, it's nice of you to do this. Oh, happy to. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>